0: Not long ago, a woman uh, went into her uh, work for a regular shift. It was like a normal day. She went in for her eight-hour shift. Uh, she jumped out of her SUV in Madison County, Mississippi, and went on into work. And I just imagine it was just like a normal day. Uh, some folks probably got on her nerve uh, at work. You know, that's what happens when you go to work sometimes, right? You know, uh, Kathleen said, amen. No, Uh uh not only that, she probably messed around on social media a little bit. You know, that's what you do at work sometimes. Uh, you ain't got to say amen. You can just say ouch to that one. But um, this woman, she went into work and she worked a full eight-hour shift. And when she was done with her eight-hour shift, she left out of her workplace, she jumped into her car, and she drove a short ways away to the Little Footprints Learning Center where her two-year-old was dropped off for the day, so she thought. She walked into this little daycare looking for her two-year-old daughter, all to find out that she never dropped her daughter off in the first place. You may have heard of the story. This woman panics. She panics and she gathers her things and she runs back out to her SUV. And she looks in the back seat and her two-year-old daughter for her entire shift has been buckled in the car seat. She forgot her. She forgot her little girl in the back seat during her entire Eight-hour shift. The investigators began investigating, and they tested a normal SUV during the day, and they realized the temperatures would have gotten up to over a 100 degrees. When this mother found her little girl, her body was lifeless. It was a damaging mistake. She forgot her. She forgot her baby. And I can imagine the things, the devastation that happened to this mom, the the devastation that happened to this family. Her mistake led her to a damaging end. And when we look at our passage this morning, that is exactly... The fitting parable that we will see. We will will see that, that believers in Jesus Christ, and not only believers, but even unbelievers, ones who have not put their faith in Jesus, forget God. And it's easy for believers in Jesus Christ to forget God, but what the writer of Hebrews points us to is that what forgetting God leads us to is a damaging end leads us to a devastating end. This morning, we want to speak from the subject how easily we forget God. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're present with us. Thank you, God, that even though we may forget you, you don't forget us. Thank you that you pursue us you've pursued us in worship, that you've pursued us in a time of prayer, that, God, that you will continue to pursue us even through this time. God, I pray that you would move me aside, that you would have your way in us, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would do a work in us, God, that only you can do. Challenge us, transform us, convict us, O oh God, and it's in your name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. For a number of weeks, we've been marching through uh, Hebrews. And we've said that Hebrews, when we look at Hebrews, one of the things we see is the bigness of Christ. It's healthy for us to make our way back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 to see this. When the writer declares of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he opposed the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, Hebrews declares to us that all that we need to know about God can be found in Jesus That Jesus is the exact imprint of God. That if we have questions about who God is or the character of God, we can look to Jesus. We can look to Jesus. And not only can we look to Jesus to find out about the character of God. Jesus has done something that nobody else could have done. He has made a sacrifice for sin. He has made purification for sin. And he did it with his own life. And over and over again, the writer of Hebrews, he goes back to this point. He makes a beeline to this point that you and I may get it in our minds that Christ is better. That, that, that Christ is all. And last week uh, in in Hebrews chapters five, chapter five, one of the things that we were privileged to see is that Jesus is our high priest. That Jesus is a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, and that tells us even today that Jesus knows what we're going through, that we're not alone. That he knows and he cares that Jesus came down in the form of a man. That Jesus wrapped himself in flesh and he walked and talked like you and I do. He was tempted like you and I do. And because of it, we don't have to measure up. We don't have to live according to anybody else's standards. We can live to the standard of Christ because he is our high priest. And we continue on this week in Hebrews. You know this passage is interpreted in a couple different ways. But what I believe is happening is that the writer of Hebrews begins our passage by addressing Jewish unbelievers. Remember that. Don't forget that. Our writer begins our passage by addressing Jewish unbelievers. And one of the main themes of Hebrews is that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. What do you mean by this? What I mean is the old covenant and the old rituals and the old law of God, these old practices, the new covenant is superior to. And so one of the things the writer of Hebrews will point to and allude to is this reality that Jewish non-Christians, they are stuck in Judaism. that They are stuck in their practices. They are stuck in their rituals. And what the writer of Hebrews wants them to know is that those same rituals, those same ceremonial laws, and those same practices are pointing them somewhere. And he's letting them know, you are not to stop in one place, but I'm pointing you someplace. The writer of Hebrews is essentially saying that the Old Testament is filled with pictures that point to Jesus Christ. Over and over again, these ceremonial laws and these practices, the laws of God, we are not to sit there, but we are to see them and see Jesus Christ. He's letting them know that I don't want you to just sit in one place. He's saying they are symbols and he's these symbols and and these emblems are leading to the person of Jesus Christ. So when we get to our passage, we've got to see that the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that it's easily forgotten that God desires more. It's easily forgotten that God desires more. The text begins just after the writer of Hebrews has discussed this whole idea of Jesus is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And essentially, the writer of Hebrews begins our passage in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 with saying, Look, I want to dive into this more. I want to dive into this more, but you aren't even ready for it. You are, he says, dull of hearing. And essentially what he means by this term dull of hearing is that they've heard the gospel so often. They've rejected the gospel so often. And even get this, apathy is rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've heard it and yet they still rejected it. And now their hearts have become callous and hard to the message of the gospel. And he's saying, you are slow now in hearing, you're slow in learning, and you're not getting it. So I can't even dive into the real truths that I really want to dive into with you. He's talking to these Jewish unbelievers who are stuck in Judaism, who are stuck practicing their laws, who are stuck practicing their ceremonial rules, and they know how to get all the rules right. Get this, they know how to perform. And yet what the writer of of Hebrews is attempting to do is he wants to move them, get this, from performance to affection in Jesus Christ. He's saying your performance and your ability to get the rules right, it's not good enough. It'll, It'll get you nowhere. And this is where the unbelieving Jews are. They are stuck in getting the steps right. They, they, they know how to memorize the, the Old Testament laws and, and they, they go to the sanctuary, you know. They, they know how to do all the things right, but they have no affection for Jesus Christ. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, It's easy to forget that God doesn't want you to get stuck over here. But what God wants to do is move you to affection in Jesus Christ. And he's cautioning them. And he's hoping that that they would receive Jesus in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, in all of his fullness. And what they are doing right now is they're taking a fake God in their ceremonial performance. And dare I say this morning that there are some of us who are living the same kind of lives. Some of us who have the performance down and and we know how to do the rules and we may even memorize some scriptures, but we have no affection for Jesus Christ. And what the writer of Hebrews would say to the unbelieving Jews and what he's saying to us this morning is Jesus is better than your rules. He's saying Jesus is better than your rule keeping He's hoping that they would take hold of the fullness of Jesus Christ for all that Jesus is. So when we get to our passage, we understand that these unbelieving Jews, they've become slow to learn. Their hearts are callous. Their hearts are hard because they are view Christianity to be about rule-keeping. And what God is saying in Hebrews is that Christianity is not about keeping the rules. And what God is saying is Christianity is not about keeping the rules because there was one that came and he kept the rules perfectly for us. There is one who came and though you may be a lawbreaker, there is one who came who perfectly kept the law for you. And he's saying, fully trust in Jesus Christ. Don't, don't settle for a fake substitute because the fullness of Christ is better than any ability to keep the rules. The Memphian needs to hear this this morning. We're good at going to Bible study. We're good at keeping rules. But the writer of Hebrew would declare to us this morning, affection in Jesus Christ is better. To really assume the fullness of God. I remember uh, when I played football and basketball in high school particularly basketball, it's so crazy, y'all, because um, at the beginning of practice, you ran. At the end of practice, you ran. You just ran all the time. You know, and and I enjoyed the sport, but the running just bugged the crap out of me. And so if you got in trouble, if you were late, at the end of practice, you ran and, 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 I still remember those dreaded words from the court, uh, from the coach on the line. Those dreaded words on the line. And you know, you, you, you'd, you'd be running with your team and, and you start off fast. Everybody is running with enthusiasm. And, and as the time went on, everybody started to slow down a little bit. And things started to, to slow down a little bit and, and all of a sudden the coach would yell out, don't cheat me. He'd yell out, don't, don't quit on me. Don't cheat me. And what essentially what he was saying to us is there's more in you. You've got more in you. And he wanted to pull out more that we didn't think was there. He wanted to pull out more. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, God wants more. And it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget that God is desiring more. He's not satisfied with us keeping the rules. He wants more. Is that characteristic of your life? Understanding that God is not satisfied with our rule keeping? Do you understand that God is not satisfied with your keeping the ceremonial laws? That He wants more. That He wants us to come into the fullness of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's important for us to understand it's easily forgotten that the window of opportunity won't be open forever. The window of opportunity will not be open forever. The writer of Hebrews begins chapter six by saying, get this, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. The idea of this word leave is to abandon or to divorce. And we all know that divorce is messy. He's saying Leave or abandon or divorce the elementary doctrines of Christianity. And, and here what I would say to you this morning is this is one of the reasons why I believe the writer of Hebrews in our passage for the moment is speaking to unbelieving Jews. Nowhere else in the Bible would God say to Christians, abandon, divorce the elementary things of Christianity. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say that to Christians because we are to meditate on the word day and night. We, we need to be reminded of the elementary things of Christianity. So the writer of Hebrews is speaking in our passage for the moment to unbelieving Jews. And he's telling them, there's some things that you've held on to that you need to divorce. And he gives us this whole list of what some of these things are. He says, repentance from dead works. He says, instruction about washing, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And he goes on with this list. And it's so easy for us to take these things as we see them in our Bible and apply them to our Christian thinking. And yet, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's seeing these things as the unbelieving Jews would see them in Judaism. So for example, this whole washing idea, every Jewish person would have a bucket of water in their house, and when visitors would come over, they would wash themselves. Before they would eat a meal, they would wash themselves. And here are some things in their mind in Judaism, these are the basic things of Christianity. And it goes on and on. And they hold these things dear. And essentially what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying, divorce those practices and those laws for Jesus Christ because he is better. Saying put those things aside. Cast those things aside. And the tough part begins in chapter 6 verse 4, right? The writer declares that it's impossible for those who have been enlightened and then haven't fallen away to restore them again to repentance. See, not only get this, have they been enlightened, but the Bible says they have tasted of the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. See, they've even seen miracles with their own eyes. And yet they've still fallen away. What does this mean? And I know that your wheels are turning. Does this mean a Christian can lose his salvation or lose her salvation? And we'll deal with that in a second. But you got to know this here. They they experience a little bit of Jesus that they tasted a little bit of the holy spirit they've they've been in the presence of the holy spirit at work they've seen miracles with their own eyes and they still did not believe ooh that's some heaviness the reality that you can experience the power of god and still reject him the reality that there are some who can see miracles before their own eyes and still say no to God. Woo! The reality that you can taste of the Holy Spirit and still say no to Him. And here is another reason why I believe this passage is to unbelieving Jews. Because even the psalmist David says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's beckoning those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ to come and just take a taste. But I would declare to you this morning that these unbelieving Jews, they have tasted and they've still rejected. They they have seen miracles and they've still rejected. These are not believers falling away from Jesus. And the Bible is clear over and over again. We see the reality that once we are in Christ, nobody can do anything about it. The Bible is clear that once God has pulled us out of the darkness, once he's pulled us out of a valley of our own sin, nobody can snatch us out of his hand. And you don't have to take my word for it. I brought some witnesses with me this morning. Look at John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29. Here's what it says. My sheep hear my voice and know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Isn't that beautiful? Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 35 and 38 through 39 that declares, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Philippians 1.6 says this, Paul writes, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. They all agree that what God starts, he finishes. That when God begins to work in you and I, that He doesn't leave it undone. That when God starts something, He finishes it. And, and what, why that is a blessing to my soul is because even when I attempt to step out of the grace of God, He is holding me. He is caring for me. That even when I send myself to sleep, He is holding me and He is carrying me that even myself, Chris Davis, you cannot snatch yourself out of the love of God. Nobody, not even yourself, can pull you out of the grace of God. The grace of God is full and, and it encompasses all of us even in our brokenness. And he'll keep us. What God starts, he finishes What God begins, He never leaves undone, and yet the writer of Hebrews is cautioning us. He's saying to those unbelieving Jews, He's saying, do not let this time pass. Don't you let this window of opportunity close. And when he's talking about somebody falling away, it's not that he's speaking of Christians falling out of grace. What he is speaking of of is these unbelieving Jews losing their opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. And he's saying this window of opportunity will not last forever. He's cautioning them. He's warning them. And we need to take this to heart. Because essentially what the writer of Hebrews is saying is our performance is not good enough and the window of opportunity will eventually be over. What does that mean for us? What that means for us is there will come a day when we will not have the opportunity to say yes to Christ there will come a day when there's no longer a tomorrow. You know how, you know, when, when your favorite team uh, loses the game and the last second shot doesn't go down, all of a sudden we're thinking, you know, there's always next year. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, there will come a time when there is no next year. And he's cautioning us. And I love this because it just gives freedom. Like I, I don't have to make this stuff up. He, he's saying, be aware that the time is running short and the, the window of opportunity will eventually close. Um, it's so crazy, y'all. I, I, if I were honest, I kind of embarrassed my wife uh, during the first service, and I'm glad she's not here the second service. Uh, um, and i 'll have to deal with that when I get home, but um, so i got to tell you that um before we were married our our dating relationship was probably shall i say less than desirable um and here 's why you know and primarily because of me i got to be honest um, it just took me a long time to make up my mind. And, you know, we can get into past and you can get into, it just took me, so we did the on and off thing and I gotta tell you, the last time we dated, we hadn't talked for over a year and I just cold called her. And it's like when I make up my mind, I, I just, my mind is set. It's, it's, it's made up. So I cold called her and of course she played me to the left and didn't answer, you know. I expected that. Uh, so I sent a text message, the text ministry, you know. Um, yes, 21st century millennials holler at me. Um, the text ministry, I sent her a text and I said, please, 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 can I talk to you? And when I realized after sitting down and talking to her after so long that she was still available, Y'all, I almost shouted. I was dancing. <laughs> the fact that the window of opportunity hadn't closed yet. And I got to tell you, I, you, I, you know, my wife is fine. She is more intelligent than I am. And she loves Jesus. And I'm just winning, y'all. I'm winning. And it blew my mind that she wasn't snatched up. That the window of opportunity was still open. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is communicating to us this morning. To unbelieving Jews. That the window of opportunity is still open. And the window of opportunity will soon close. And he's warning them. He's cautioning them. That they wouldn't settle for their rituals and that we, they would come to know Christ in all of his fullness. Have you realized that this morning? That the window of opportunity will not be open for forever. Sometimes it feels like it's out of sight, out of minds. And forever is such a long time and we've just got time. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is we ain't got time. That the window of opportunity will soon be over. Lastly, and quickly, we've got to see that God's care is easily forgotten. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 9, I know I've said some tough things. And then he begins to say, yet in your case, beloved. I love this. He says, I have expressed some tough things. Things to you. I've I've given you some severe warnings, and yet in your case, beloved, this is a kind of Christian, brotherly love. And he says to them, I see all that you've done. God sees all that you've done. God sees how you've honored and reverenced his name. God sees, God knows. And God cares. Isn't it beautiful that God cares about that? It says God sees that you've reverenced His name. God sees and He cares and He knows. And it's so easy for us to forget, but God cares. God cares for the ones who have faith in Jesus Christ. And and what I want to tell you is that the writer of Hebrews, he he. Flips the script in this passage because he begins to talk to believing Christians and he says, I see you. I'm affirming in you that, that you have affections for Jesus Christ and you love Jesus dearly and you're loving God and loving other people and God sees it. Says God cares for your obedience in him. God Cares And God cares so much so that what he is asking of us is that the unbelieving Jews would become imitators of those who have their confidence and faith in Jesus Christ. He mentions discipleship. He says God cares so much that he challenges you to pull others along in the faith. That you wouldn't just settle for knowing Jesus, but that you would be an imitator of Jesus Christ. And that you and I would feel the responsibility to pull others along in the faith. That somebody else would know how to open their Bibles and read and feed themselves because of your teaching them. that that somebody else would understand how to bend down and depend upon God in prayer because of your teaching them. God says, I see and I know and I care so much so that I'm challenging you to pull somebody else along in the faith. That you wouldn't just be selfish with your faith in Jesus Christ, but that you would become an imitator of Christ And that somebody else would imitate you as you walk out your faith. He sees, he cares, and he knows. What I love about this passage is there's some severe warnings here. And what this tells us is that God is a merciful God. God is warning the unbelieving Jews and and he's warning us through his message to them this morning that you and I should not settle for the rituals, that you and I should understand that God is desiring more of us, that you and I should understand that there is a bigger plan in mind. And that God is tugging upon our hearts That we would say yes to Him. Not some simulated relationship with God. But that we would say yes and that our affections would be upon Him. That we would commit to Him fully. And what I love about this passage is God cares as much about the unbelieving Jews. So much about for them that He doesn't leave them in their condition without warning them. And he says to them that I'm going to extend my mercy to you. I'm going to extend my mercy and I'm going to warn you. I'm going to warn you that your faith is not legitimate. And there may be somebody here this morning. You've, you've gone to church. You You know the steps. And you've been performing for all of your life. And what God is saying to you this morning is come to Jesus. Because he's rest for the weary. Come to Jesus because he is a burden lifter. When we're performing, we carry these heavy burdens. And what the writer of Hebrews declares is Jesus is the only one who can free us. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It frees us. And he says to us this morning that all we have to do... Is put our faith and trust in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, we give you praise this morning. God, we thank you that you hadn't left us. In our own state, you hadn't left us to our own devices, God, but you've pursued us. You've pursued us through your word. You've pursued us through Christian community. You've pursued us, God, through your Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that we would answer your calls this morning. And God, there may be somebody here this morning that you are tugging on their heart. God would you give them the strength to say yes to you. Father, I pray that you would encourage them that they don't have to fix themselves up to come to you, but you'll just take you'll take them as they are. And I pray, Father, that our hearts and our affections would be upon you. God that we wouldn't settle for a fake version of you through rules, but that we would say yes to you fully. Now, God, I pray that you would bless these gifts that we're about to receive. God, we pray you would multiply them. God, we pray that you would take these fish and these loaves and, God, that you would give us an abundance. Father, we thank you that all that we have belongs to you. We thank you that all that you've gifted us with belongs to you. And now, God, we give it back. We sacrificially give back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.